0: This is Real Business in Real Time with executive coach, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. Learn what C-suite execs and business leaders have learned in the real-time, real-world School of Hard Knocks. And now, here's your host, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter.
1: Hi everybody, this is Mark Hinderleiter. Welcome to Real Business in Real Time. My guest today is Joel Trammell. Joel holds a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from Louisiana Tech University and is a former instructor at the Naval Nuclear Power School. So we thank Joel for his service. Joel's been a successful entrepreneur and CEO of software companies for more than 20 years. He's currently CEO of Chorus Software, which provides a system to empower CEOs to deliver predictable company performance. Joel is co-founder and managing partner of the private equity firm, Lone Rock Technology Group. In addition, he serves on several boards in public, private, and nonprofit companies. And Joel is the author of The CEO Tightrope and the soon to be released The Manager Tightrope. So, Joel, welcome to Real Business in Real Time. Great to be with you, Mark. You betcha. So, the first thing that was kind of on my mind uh, after I read your book was as a busy CEO, what inspired you to write not one, but two books?
0: Well, as you mentioned, my first job out of college was uh, teaching at Naval Nuclear Power School. And I think, uh, you know, if you used one word to describe me, teacher is probably the word that uh, most people would use. And so, you know, after having a lot of experience in the CEO role, uh, I sat down and thought I wanted to share that experience. And I, I started by teaching a class, actually. I was chairman of what they call the Austin Technology Council. And so I started teaching a class about 10 years ago for CEOs in the local area. Uh, and then after I taught the class for a while, you kind of develop the material. You feel comfortable with it. I started writing the book to do that, and then uh, now we've we've followed on the CEO concept with a manager concept that uh, is similar, but of course the jobs are, are a little different. And
1: they are so critical. I, uh, Joe, my background before I became an executive coach, I was senior VP of HR for a you know billion dollar company, and you know, I've worked for a couple of companies and. I say this all the time: leadership is everything. <laughs> uh, it, it can, and I've seen great CEOs that really drove great cultures and long-term financial performance, profitability, and growth, and was part of that. And that was that was a great experience. But I've seen the other side of the coin too, Joel, where Absolutely. the CEO, you know, was not really up to the job and culture suffered financial performance suffered and growth turned into contraction so i am a big believer i've seen firsthand the impact both positive and negative so i think it's awesome that you're trying to help ceos and managers be successful you know one of the things in your book that that you really kind of frame up is the balancing act of five main responsibilities as the CEO. So could you talk about that?
0: Sure, I, I mean, I think one of the challenges is most CEOs receive very little training for the job. Uh, we, we just assume that if somebody is a, let's say a really good sales guy and they become a sales director and a sales VP and a sales executive, that they know how to be CEOs, so we can just take them and plug them into that CEO chair. And and I've always said that that, to me, is like the difference between being a great basketball player and being a great baseball player. Rarely do the two <laughs> uh, coincide, even though both involve round balls and some sort of athletic ability, right? And so when I wrote the book, I wanted, you know, what is really the job? What What does the CEO have to do that kind of no one else in the organization can really substitute for. And so I came up with five things and, and the first one, own the vision. Uh, some people call this strategy, but to me, it's, it's much deeper than strategy. It's, it's, it's really the whole concept of why the company exists. And can you explain that to all the constituents, to the, you know, 21 year old new college grad that doesn't know anything about your industry to the most uh, seasoned Wall Street executive that, uh, are analysts that you're trying to coax to buy your stock, or, or whatever the case may be. Can you really own that vision? And then the second one I talk about is provide the resources. The CEO is ultimately the arbitrator of who gets the resources in the organization and acquiring the necessary resources. And of course, you know a lot of that's people in most companies today. 70, 80% of the expense line is is directly related to people. So uh, there's probably more in the book about the human resource aspect of it that I'm sure you found very familiar. I did. Um, and then there's the capital aspects, of course, as well. And then build the culture. Uh, if you got the right people, then you start talking about culture. You know, I have founded some companies and and people, when you found a company, the culture really takes on the uh the, the characteristics of the founder. Now, when you, it's different, when you come in and take over in an existing company, uh, sometimes you have to rebuild the culture. And, and sometimes in one of the cases where I took over a, a public company, there wasn't one culture to rebuild. There were about 50 different independent cultures because, because it had been created through a series of acquisitions and that's, yeah. that's even more challenging, but yes, it is. you know, the CEO is mom and dad of the community. And, uh, and they have to understand that and actively take a role in that. And then the fourth one is make decisions. Now this is not just the CEO making good decisions, obviously we'd love the CEO to make great decisions, but he also has to teach the organization how to make decisions uh, because every decision can't go up to the CEO, that that just doesn't scale. Uh, and, and so a lot of small organizations, you know, if you have 10 people that works, CEO makes every decision. If you have a thousand people, that's totally and completely impossible. So you have to teach the organization at what level decisions should be made and encourage that decision-making process. And then finally, if you do those four things, then we can finally talk about what everyone agrees is the CEO's responsibility, which is deliver performance. But I think too many CEOs or even boards think of it as as they kind of just throw the players out on the field and say, go win. Uh, without these other pieces in place. And if you don't put these other pieces in place, then you you really, you really don't have the formula for success.
1: Yeah. You know, in the context of kind of where we are today, Joel, with this global pandemic and economic downturn, of these five things, uh, would you place a
0: premium on any one or two of these to navigate this crisis? Yeah, you know, it's, A lot of it's a holistic system and and you can't do one uh, by itself. You know, you say, I want a great culture and you try to build a great culture. But if you don't have the right people and you don't have a clear vision, you can't build a culture. So uh, you you really have to do all of them at the same time. And so that's why there are no easy fixes in situations where a, a new CEO comes in or a new leader comes in. It takes time to put all these things in place. Yeah. Yeah. So as you've been a CEO
1: uh, along a few stops and interacted with a lot of other CEOs, do you see, is there a theme there about what you see maybe is missing with some of the folks that just kind of get thrown into the deep waters of being a new CEO uh, that they have to kind of figure out along the way? Or is it a mixed bag?
0: Yeah. You know, if you ask me to predict the performance of a person in the CEO role, you know, if you look back in history, there have been a lot of great CEOs who had very limited experience when they took the job. I mean, I think, you know, certainly Zuckerberg at Facebook uh, has done an incredible job building the organization he, he did. He had no experience. So experience is not the number one criteria for a CEO. Bill Gates at Microsoft did a great job building that organization. Uh, he had no experience. So, so when you look at some of those people and you say, what was unique about them? Well, first of all, they were really smart, right? Both Zuckerberg and Gates got bored at Harvard. You got to be pretty smart, but but smart in a certain way in in that they were constantly curious about learning and implementing new things in the business. You can be smart and think you're the smartest guy in the room, but if you're not capable of implementing learnings rapidly into your business, you're not going to be successful. So that ability to learn rapidly in areas they need to and then put it into the business is the first thing. And then the second piece that's hugely important is a level of self-awareness of how you as the leader impact everyone else. And, and what you saw with Zuckerberg is he brought in someone to help him with that, Sheryl Sandberg, right. as, as a partner to, to fill in the areas that he knew he was weak. Gates brought in Ballmer. And you really don't have Microsoft or Facebook without those compadres to help fill in where the CEO was weak. So if you give me a, a smart person that learns quickly and you give me somebody that's very aware of how they impact others, uh, that's a pretty good indicator that they can take on the CEO role and yeah. be successful.
1: Yeah, great. Good stuff. So one of the things you talk about in the book, this kind of pivots to that is the CEO, one of their job is just to be an influencer, right? Yes. Or maybe not a, a, the influencer. The influencer, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and you talk about the three C's of influence. I thought that was a great conversation. I'd like to hear about that.
0: Sure. So a lot of people talk about leadership, but I always felt when people use the term leadership, it's like using the term cloud Uh, it's just this abstraction that nobody really understands what you mean, right? And so I'm I'm an engineer by degree, so I have to define terms before we start. And so, uh, you know, leadership is influencing people over things you do not control. And so, you know, there are certain things, how engaged a worker is, you don't control, you can't order a person to be engaged, you can only lead them to be engaged. And so in the CEO role, Obviously, people are looking to the CEO for leadership. So it's easier than just influencing some person walking down the street. Uh, You're already in a position where people are hoping you're going to be a good leader. So they're kind of giving you the benefit of the doubt. In that situation, I've found if you just master three things, you will gain significant influence in the organization. And I call those the three C's. Those are credibility, competence and caring. And so, credibility is: do people believe that when you say something, you believe it to be true? We're not talking about is it actually right in some sense, uh, objective sense. It is whether they believe you are telling them the the truth as you see it. And and the words I use there: you want people to describe you as authentic uh, and transparent. And and those are the words I want to hear my team describe me. That that means you're going to tell them anything they need to know. That's kind of the standard people want uh, from a CEO. You're going to give them the truth, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. and then the second piece is, you, of course, you can be the most honest person in the world and, and, and authentic and transparent. But if you're incompetent at your job, uh, people are going to quickly figure that out. And so you, you have to be competent at your job. Now, that's not the same standard for credibility. You can only tell people a lie typically once before they quit you know, trusting you. They'll give you one do over. That's about it. Competence, you don't have to be perfect. But you do have to consistently show that you know, you know, and, and you're you're skilled and, and learned in the business that you're promoting. And you know, I engage with a lot of tech CEOs and they'll come in your office and show you their great plan that the first year they're gonna do a million in revenue, and the second year they're gonna do 10 million in revenue, and the third year they're gonna do hundred million in revenue. And I just go, hey, you know, you're setting yourself up for a credibility—I mean, a, a, excuse me—a competence challenge there, because even if you knock it out of the park, and let's say you do what Microsoft did, which I think was like one three five, and it took them eight years, Microsoft to get to fifty million in revenue. If you do one three five, but you've told everybody you're going to do one ten, a hundred people are going to be like, this person doesn't know what they're doing, even though that would be incredibly successful. And so you got to be careful about making promises on things you don't know about, because that really kills your competency. And then those two are probably the easiest for most people. The hardest for most, and especially technology entrepreneurs I work with a lot, is the caring piece. And it's not that they don't care. It's that For caring to influence people, they have to know you care. They have to perceive you care. And if you spend all your time sitting in your office behind a computer and they throw pizza under the door, uh, no one is going to perceive you care. And, And that's really important in all of these. You know, leadership is experienced in the eye of the beholder. They have to perceive that you're credible, perceive that you're competent, perceive that you care. It's not what's in your heart. You can be the most honest person, but if people don't perceive that, you're not getting comped for that uh, ability. And so anyway, you got to really think about how you're being perceived by others when you're in the CEO role and not let one of those three C's slide. Yeah. As I was reading your book, you had
1: a couple of examples where it's pretty easy to lose credibility pretty quickly with yes. with a, with a you know, a serious misstep of speaking truth or being transparent, or or maybe just kind of trying to wing it or make it up as you go, uh, That does it usually play well?
0: No, I mean, a lot of CEOs are scared how people are gonna react, uh, particularly to negative news. And, yeah. you know, this crisis has been a perfect example of that, the, the, the good CEOs have come out and instead of saying everything's gonna get better and, you know, we're gonna hire everybody back and all that, they don't know that's, none of us know that's gonna happen. They've said, look, guys, here's the situation. We're going to do the best we can, but I want to lay out the way the facts are on the ground today. And and you can't say, well, some people are going to freak out if they know how bad it is. OK, but but you otherwise you're going to lose credibility and it's not going to be any good to make it to the other side. Yeah. You know, I learned this uh,
1: from a mentor early in my career. Joel, it goes to what you're talking about. Most of the time people can handle the truth. The great truth and the hard truth, what people don't appreciate and can't handle is being lied to That's uh, right. or sure. spinning the truth because that damages our credibility terribly. We can handle the truth most of the time. You know, we may take a day to kind of <laughs> get over the sting of it. Right. Sure. Sure. Uh, but uh, people people don't appreciate spin. No. So I appreciate that. And those three C's of influence are we got to be in front of people, right? Uh, yes. And not behind that closed door, or behind that computer. I've seen that in my career also, that you may be a, a, a smart strategist and brilliant and integrity and caring, but if people don't see you or hear you, you don't get points for it, right? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah so the core software i would love to kind of hear more about that and kind of the genesis of your thought process how you started that and kind of where it is today and how ceos can really kind of use that to what you say really achieve predictable results
0: yeah so it's it's interesting if you look across what's happened in my 30 year career in it We've basically built platforms for every functional area of the business. When I when I first got into business, the only PCs PC had just come out, and the accountants were about the only ones that had one on their desk and were kind of yep. using it every day with with Lotus One Two Three or whatever VisiCalc or whatever was, the other yeah. spreadsheets. Yeah, or right, and then over time, various other groups. And then I you know I distinctly remember in two thousand you know, Salesforce coming out and, yep. and that really fundamentally changed the way sales organizations were run, right? At it, it one time, sales people were, you know, cowboys. They were viewed as lone wolf kind of hunters. Uh, they had their own accounts that wasn't shared. There was no sales process. There was just how much did you do for me? And today, uh, with, with Salesforce driving a lot of that, if you interviewed a VP of sales at a major company and he couldn't talk about a sales process and how it systematically ran his sales organization, you would think that person was a caveman and, and you know wasn't a modern modern business uh, person, right? Business executive. But, but you look across and, and everybody's got a platform, whether it be sales or marketing or finance or whatever. And then you got this guy called the CEO, arguably the most important person in the organization, uh, running around from, Meeting to meeting with email and calendar. We'll widen their system for the CEO just like there is for the sales leader or the marketing leader or the finance leader. And so that's the genesis of chorus. So the concept is what then should that look like? Because it's not a sales platform, it's not a marketing platform, it's not a finance platform. Most people initially think when I say that, oh, well, you're going to aggregate all the data from all these other platforms and show it to the CEO. And I say, no, chief data interpreter is not the CEO's role. If I can look at 10% in in the 10% of time I have to look at sales data, if I can figure out something that my sales guy who spends all of his time looking at that data hasn't figured out, all I know is I've got a pretty weak salesperson uh, running that organization. And so that's not, you know, nowhere in my responsibilities was the idea that the CEO interprets data. What was in my responsibility starting out was own the vision. And owning the vision means communicating that throughout the organization. And so I often ask CEOs, especially new starting CEOs, you know, how are you going to change the organization? You go give a speech, but does that change anybody's behavior down at the bottom of the organization? They just go right back to their desk and keep doing exactly what they were doing before. How does your new vision tie to anything in their job? And so the first purpose, of chorus is to allow you to make those ties, to set up a series of goals at the corporate level and tie that down to the individual worker who's probably a 20-something-year-old in his first job who doesn't understand EBITDA and earnings per share and any of those concepts that the CEO spends most of his time talking about. And you've got to provide that translation across the organization to how their job matters to creating those results. And so you start with that Uh, as the platform. And then the second key piece is then how do you get information back from the organization? Because great, I've got everybody aligned, they're working on the right thing. I know we're all rowing in the same direction, but now I've got to monitor, uh, as Reagan said, trust, but verify that things are happening, see where there are issues. And so what we do there is we gather predictions from every employee, instead of allowing them to feed data up and say, hey, boss, I'm 10% done, I'm 20% done, I'm 50% done, I'm 70% done sorry boss, I didn't get done. When you allow employees to feed raw data to you, they're holding you accountable for delivering the result. Instead, what you want is you want them to be accountable for the result. You do that by instead of asking for the raw data, ask them to predict their performance. So we gather predictions from every employee. So if you have a sales goal of of $10 million, I don't care whether you've got 8 million closed or 2 million closed. I care on how likely you think you are to accomplish that goal. And so we're the only software in the world that gathers predictions from every employee every week. And so you put those two pieces together and you really have a management system for how you run an organization as a CEO that really doesn't exist. I mean, that's our biggest problem is even figuring out what to call the software, uh, because nobody else has, has tried this concept of building a system for the CEO. So how did you come up with the name? Chorus. Yeah. So, uh, sitting around, everybody talking about we want everybody on the same page. And somebody came, Well, that sounds like singing from a hymnal, uh, a chorus. Got it. And so, we were, of course, too cheap to try to buy the C H O R U S domain name. So, we looked and tried the alternate spellings and ended up with K H O R U S. And so, that domain was available. So, that's what we bought. <laughs> well, it, it is a beautiful thing, Joel, when we're all singing
1: in harmony together, isn't it? That's right. So sales predictions, pretty easy to quantify anyway. Somebody who's in more of a staff job, HR finance or uh, a customer service, what kind of things might they be predicting?
0: Yeah, so I, I, you know, walk through with people all the time. Uh, You know, HR is a great example. And and I just ask why a lot. They say, you know, I've had HR leaders. So I will say, say my job's to, you know, fill out these forms, let's say. And I say, well. Why do we have you fill out those forms? I mean, that has no business value, right? Well, well, I guess we're trying to get you know, benefits for employees. Oh, okay. So let's talk about why do we need to get benefits to, for employees? Well, employees you know, value benefits and helps them if they're well covered to do their job and, and be more productive. So, okay. So really you're in the employee productivity business and let's talk about how we would measure that. What would we see if we had good benefits in place. Well, we'd see, you know, low attrition. We'd see, you know, few missed days at work. We'd see whatever. Okay, there's how we measure it. So now we've got a goal to drive attrition from 15% to 12%, and that's what we're going to measure. And so you can walk through with any organization and just keep asking why. And then typically they'll start with a task answer. I do this, you know, and the simplest way, I come to work every day. That's my goal, you know. No, okay, why do we pay you to come to work every day? What is, and you keep asking about three or four times, and finally you start getting to something that sounds like a business reason and why the CEO actually writes your paycheck every week. Okay, great. So does the CEO end up with like a dashboard or what's 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 that look like? Yeah. So we end up with a two by two matrix, actually, that that gives him the predictions uh, across the organization. And then the second question we ask, which we think is also important, is how do you feel about the quality of work done so far? And this feel is the word we emphasize. And and what it's designed, kind of a yin and yang thing, right? I have people predicting how likely they are to complete the task. The feel question is, you know, maybe you're a sales guy and you're going to hit your number, but you've drained your pipeline and you've got zero for next quarter. So you're concerned, right? And so this gives the ability for anybody in the organization to raise a red flag to management and say, hey boss, we got a problem independent of my likelihood of accomplishing the task. And you know, the first words out of management's mouth needs to be thank you. <laughs> thank you for letting me know there was a problem because when you look at all the business failures and you do postmortems on those business failures, you always find there were guys three, four, five levels down in the organization. They knew exactly what was going on. They knew there was a problem, but they had no way systematically to communicate that to anybody who could do anything about it. Yeah, yeah.
1: So one of the things I've seen in my long career, Joel, is this thing called sandbagging. Yes. (laughs) How does this system,
0: how do you deal with that? Or how have you dealt with that? Yeah, so, you know, I love sandbaggers, actually. I tell people, I I love people who, who, you know, always deliver more than they promise. That's about 10% of, the, uh, of my experience of the employees, about 90% overpromise and under deliver. But uh, the beauty in the system is I get to set the goals. And as your manager, I get to approve. You may, you may come up with the goal, but I get to approve it. So I get to set where the bar is. If you can then sandbag and, and achieve, overachieve that bar, great. If you can work 10 hours a week and knock that bar and, and overachieve that bar, I'm fine with that too. But because I get to set the bar, and we get to have a discussion at least about where the bar should be set, then you, know, you can't just do nothing uh, from a sandbagging perspective if you do have to deliver a result. But I love people who, uh, you know, one of my values that we had up on the walls at one of my companies was under promise over deliver. Yeah. And I think that's a great, if I could get every employee to do that, boy, uh, it'd make my CEO job a lot easier. Yeah, so here's a hunch of mine
1: based on what you're describing, is it's not just the system. My guess is that all of us inputting kind of our predictions really helps drive some meaningful conversations.
0: That's right. It's not just the data, is that right? No, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, the system's great. It allows you to organize hierarchically and and replaces what, uh, you know, an Excel spreadsheet or something that would get ridiculously complex. But what it's meant to do is force you to have the right conversations. Yeah. Great. And, and that that is absolutely key. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So uh, I appreciate maybe an example. You don't have to name names
1: here. But uh, <laughs> how have you seen this kind of make some game changing, you know, from somebody adopting this? How has it been a game changer?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing CEOs see, they're, they're, they're shocked often when they go through the goal-setting process and they push it down to the organization to see how many people are working hard on things that really don't have any value. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I see in most organizations, I mean, the problem's not people aren't working uh, because you can eliminate those, it, those people are easy to identify and, and get eliminated very quickly, right? It's the people that are very busy, but they've never been guided in what to do, so they come up with it from their view. And sure. when you're four levels down, five levels down in the organization, I mean, I remember having a conversation with an HR person at a company I took over, uh, and they thought their job was to make sure the, HR, the data in the HR systems was pristine, okay? And that's all they thought their job was. And I'm like, no, that has really very little to do with your job, okay? Your your job is to help people get better benefits and and, and to make sure we're, we're we're treating people better and engaging employees better. But but no one had ever explained that to them. Right. So all they could see was, hey, they gave me this system to be in charge of, so I'll be the best system admin I possibly can. No idea the bigger picture, and so that's the that's one thing uh, that that people quickly see is wow we have a lot of people around here working really hard and they may be great people but they don't understand what the purpose of the exercise is because right. we we've never explained it to, them. and you also see duplicated tasks. I mean, if your organization's hundreds of people, uh, I can almost promise you you'll have multiple people working on the same problem that don't know of each other, yeah. <laughs> and that's always hilarious to see. And so those kind of productivity now. I'll tell you, it takes quarters to get that productivity. I mean, I give you the system. And as you talked about, the real values of the conversations yeah. and the first set of goals are not great. And, you know, it takes, I find you know, typically about three quarters of people kind of getting used to setting goals and setting measurements and having these conversations where they start refining things and you start seeing the 10 and 20 percent productivity increases uh, across the organization. My, my
1: hunch also would be, just from my experience, people are gonna feel more engaged, more valued, and, and more like they're contributing to what the company is really about rather than just kind of spinning plates. Is that is that? Yeah,
0: what, it was funny. One of our largest customers was a public company that uh, did a survey of their employees about the system after it had been in for, I think, about a year or whatever. And they were curious. They were doing going through an M&A activity and they were curious to see what their employees thought, and if they wanted to apply it to the new And their employees were like, wow, this is the first time we've ever understood what the heck's going on around here. And, you know, of course, the executive team was shocked, you know, the executive team thought they were communicating. And, and I'm like, guys, you know, I mean, they had people spread out all over the world. I mean, just because you walk down a hall and give a, you know, have a conversation with somebody that doesn't work for 2000 employees spread out around the globe. Right. And so that feedback was really eye opening to them that, uh, Wow, people really care. People want to know what, why they're important. People want to know what's, you know, and if you read nothing about the millennials, they want to know how they fit into the bigger picture, right? Absolutely. And, and if you don't have a system at scale, uh, you know, you, you they're not going to prick it up by osmosis. Yeah. Yeah, great stuff.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm sure I could ask you two hours worth of questions uh, <laughs> because that was uh, a big part of you know my HR career was how do we better engage people and and this seems like a pretty slick way to do that. Uh, so thanks for sharing all that, Joel. So the last question I like to ask everybody is what's the greatest lesson that you've learned in your 20 plus year entrepreneurial journey that that folks can kind of just pick up on.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I came out of college, I, I had an electrical engineering degree, as you mentioned, and you know, I'd have told you everything's in the numbers and, and being able to do the math and, and being smart and clever and coming up with a new invention or whatever, that that's the key to business. And today I'd tell you, you know, 180 degrees opposite of that, that all that matters is the people. Yeah. Uh, that everything's a people problem at the end of the day. And that, you know, relationships and and people are are what what I wish I had studied uh, in college instead of electrical engineering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great lesson. And what I think is really cool about your software
1: is it's really a way to engage people. Yeah. Uh, And so when you use tools, that really empower people. That excites me. So anyway, thanks for sharing all that, Joel. Uh, and thank you for being our guest. How can folks find you? Get a hold of you? Find your company? Sure.
0: Yeah. So uh, chorus, uh, again spelled with a K, K H O R U S dot com uh, is our website, and then uh, I blog and write under the ceo dot com. OK. And so you can read if you want to read more of my writings. There's an online course. You can order the book, do it, do whatever you like there at the American CEO. Yeah. OK. Well, Joel, thank you very much. Uh, great conversation, folks. Thanks for listening.
1: As I always kind of end my podcasts with great podcasts or the new MBA. So thanks for listening, Joel. Take care.
0: Glad to be with you. Thanks for joining us on Real Business in Real Time with executive coach, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. Be sure to connect with Mark Hinderleiter on LinkedIn, check out his leadership tip of the week, and subscribe to this podcast on the app of your choice.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.